and welcome back to the Minivan Dad Soccer Pod. I'm your host TJ and welcome to the only soccer pod with a host that actually admits to driving a minivan. Part of the US Fan TV network. Available on SoundCloud and now on iTunes as well. So that's kind of the new thing for the week is that it's now available on iTunes. This week we're only going to recap a couple of games. We're going to recap the Guernsey game against Town and then AS Roma against Inter Milan. We're going to then d- take a little bit of a dive into the team of the week of Team Wellington. We're going to go into some, a few opinions on the hiring of Greg Berhalter with the U.S. men's national team, which I'm sure will come up in more detail on U.S. Fan TV on Thursday night. And... Maybe we'll take a little bit of a, a touch on the women's Ballon d'Or and Ada Hagerberg's win. And finally, we'll probably touch on Minneapolis City and their new scarves. And, of course, the team of the week, which will be Team Wellington. And maybe we'll even go a step further and talk about a couple of soccer pods that I listen to that I think are important to listen to. So, that said, we're going to do this all in one take tonight because, frankly... It's getting difficult to edit, and I don't do it very well. As If you've listened to either show, you can probably tell. So that said, let's just get into the show, and let's see what we get going on. So on Saturday, we had Guernsey playing against Hythetown. Hythetown is currently sitting in third in the table, and Guernsey had started, I believe, at 13th going into the weekend. It's a home game for Guernsey against a good, a very good Hythetown team, which featured Zach Ansa, who came out of the Arsenal system and has been with Hythe for a couple of years. Back and forth game to start. Seemed like Guernsey was actually kind of on the front foot a little bit. And then in about the ninth minute, Zach Ansa hits a free kick, scores, goes up one nothing. Next thing you know, Guernsey is now chasing the game. And again, back and forth. It, for a team that's sitting in mid-table versus a team at the top of the table, you really would have had trouble telling because Guernsey didn't sit back and defend and just try and play counter. They, they definitely played on the front foot as much as they played on the back foot. And it was a good, really good back-and-forth game, which is impressive, which means tells me that for a mid-table team, they're starting to come into their own. They're getting better. Guernsey is not far away from making that next jump. I, they're a very young squad again. And it seemed like a back-and-forth game where Guernsey could steal a point out of the game. And then in the in the 63rd minute, Samuth scored for Hightown, and next thing you know, it's 2-0, and the game was pretty much over from there because now Guernsey's trying to get two goals in one shot, and of course that doesn't work out real well, and they're chasing the game. So at the end of the day, Guernsey gets no points for their home game in front of 493. They fall to 14th in the table. Height still sitting in third place. And upcoming this week, we have, Guern- we have Guernsey going to VCD Athletic on Saturday, so... We'll have a recap of that game next week, I'm sure. The only cool thing that kind of came out of that was um, Jamie Dodd, with his 271st appearance for the club, sets a new record, breaking Don Hume's old record of 270. So congratulations to Jamie Dodd, and I'm sure being 29, he's going to have a lot more appearances for the club, and frankly, has earned earned more appearances for the club. So it's a sad result for the club but yet still encouraging because they are playing against, you know, the second time in three weeks they've played a top team, you know, top three team, and they come up on the short end, but they're still competing. They're in the games. They aren't completely overrun and just playing, defending for their lives and hoping to score. So 
a tough loss, but encouraging nonetheless. The only other game I got to watch this week was AS Roma. AS Roma played Inter Milan on Sunday afternoon and 2-2 tie. So AS Roma, I guess, is the first big club I've watched on more than one occasion. And again, a really good back-and-forth game. You know, the interesting thing was when I was growing up, Italy in the Italian league in Serie A, call it whatever you want to call it, was the top league in the world in the late 80s, early 90s. But it was a very technical league. It was very defensive. And when you start talking about a league that is very defensive, you're talking about a really boring league. So, and it's kind of fallen off the radar as as the money has flown into flowed into other countries and such as Spain, definitely into England, France, Germany. So, Italy, not nearly as exciting, but easily for me to find on ESPN Plus. So I've kind of adopted AS Roma because, like I said last week, they have a great website. They're really interactive on their English website. So, two two AS Roma. Um, their defense had a whole ton of trouble defending out wide. It seems like Inner had chance after chance after chance, especially in the first half, exposing them on the flanks and crossing down the middle. And in the 37th minute, Kaita scored for Inner. And then shortly before halftime, we get to my Ask the Ref session, and there was a foul. They went to VAR about the 42nd, 43rd minute for Milan. And the ref at least it looked like a foul, decided it wasn't a foul. And frankly, I have trouble. I don't have any problems with it. It definitely looked like a foul, especially as you, as you slowed it down. However, the forward went down at the first sniff of contact. The first second he was breathed on, he fell. And when you start doing that, you're making it hard for the referee. So the with VAR, the standard is always that you're looking for obvious to overcome. And in this case... I don't think it was obvious enough, at least at full speed, because he went down way too quickly to, while there may have been contact, you can't go down that quickly and expect to get the PK, so VAR took away in that case. Um, in the 51st minute, an absolute thunder thunderbolt from Under from, from AS Roma leveled the game at 1-1, and again, continued back and forth, Roma being exposed on the flanks, but Definitely holding their own, getting more than enough opportunities. But in the 65th minute on a cross, I think, believe it was on a corner, Icardi heads it away, puts it away off the head. 2-1 to one to enter. And Roma's back to chasing the game. And, like I said earlier, VAR taketh away. But in the 74th minute, VAR giveth it's a clear handball. And it really was. It wasn't even a questionable call. So it's not anything I'm going to deep dive into as asked the ref. And Kolarov scored for Roma, 2-2. An entertaining game, definitely, for a league that used to be known for its defense. A lot of attacking play, a lot of positive play. Definitely exciting. So if you haven't checked out Serie A lately because you think it's way too defensive of a league, I recommend giving it another shot. So 2-2 to Roma versus Inter Milan, and we'll go on from there. And this week, my club, my team of the week is going to be Team Wellington. Team Wellington is plays in the top league in the Premiership down in New Zealand. Currently, they're mid second or third in the league. However, they are the current Oceania Champions League title winners, so they get to go to the Club World Cup starting on 
on the 12th of December at 9.30 Central Time, they will play Alanine, which is the host club from United Arab Emirates. Now, I've kind of adopted to um, Team Wellington, and you're saying, well, how does somebody find a club like Team Wellington? Team Wellington, I found them because Guernsey's all-time leading scorer, Ross Allen, in about December of last year, transferred there on a free transfer. year before, he had gone to visit New Zealand. He obviously enjoyed it. He went there on a free transfer to expand his football horizons, and he joined Team Wellington on a free transfer. And because of that, the Guernsey faithful decided they were going to take an interest in Team Wellington and let us let you know where they're playing when they're playing. It turns out the Oceana Champions League was available to be streamed online, so we got to see Ross Allen playing in the Oceana Champions League, and he scored a few goals, which I didn't write down how many he scored, but he featured prominently for that side. And for the first time they won the Oceana Champions League, they get to be their representative in the Club World Cup. They get to play Alanine on the 12th, which is that tournament will be an interesting tournament because the South American champion for the representative for that tournament still really hasn't been decided until we figure out what's going on between Boca and and River Platte until we figure that result out. Cotton Ball doesn't have a representative. I'm sure they will by then, but we're about a week away, so we'll see what happens with that. With um, Boca saying they're not going to play in, I believe it's in Madrid, so who knows. U.S. Soccer hired Greg Berhalter to, or announced Greg Berhalter today. Introduced Greg Berhalter today, I guess would be the right term. He was announced on Monday, but Greg Berhalter, the new U.S. men's national team coach. I'm sure those who have followed me on U.S. Fan TV have heard me talk about my opinions on Greg Berhalter and that I have a definite high opinion of Greg Berhalter as a, as a manager, as a coach. I think he's a great hire for U.S. soccer. However, there's a lot of, seems like, especially if you follow Twitter, there's a lot of controversy around Greg Berhalter. I don't fully understand that, to be honest. Can't lie about it. I'm not going to sit there and say I understand that fully. Although I believe, in my opinion, what I've figured out is it seems like some of it is that the press, the media, those who cover soccer aren't really impressed. They they talk about the process. U.S. soccer wasn't open to the process. They weren't telling everybody what's going on, which is true. They didn't. And I think that ruffled the feathers of those in the soccer media. So when they didn't get their insight into the process, they didn't get their insight to who was candidates, they didn't get insights into who was being interviewed, I think they got a little collectively butthurt about it. So they decided to talk about the process, how it was a closed process, how they only interviewed, it sounds like, three people. One of them was Oscar Pereja before he went to Tijuana, obviously Greg Berhalter. And the third one, according to Ernie Stewart during the press conference today, took another assignment. So that really leaves it to be either Jesse Marsh or Tata Martino. My guess is Jesse Marsh, and frankly, the... The snarky person says, well, it took him 14 months to interview and make the hire. That's why Jesse Marsh left. Now, Jesse Marsh left to, for Leipzig because he got to go to Leipzig and be part of, take a step up in the Red Bull soccer empire. And frankly, I don't blame Jesse Marsh. I believe for him that's a better step than being the U.S. national team coach. Although as a player, I'm sure he would love to have come back and be the head guy for the U.S. national team. I think ultimately Marsh will be better suited taking some time at Leipzig and 
he'll be a phenomenal hire from there. So it also seems like, especially again, we're going back to soccer Twitter, that there's a lot of anger, again, about the process. Should They should have hired somebody better than Burhalter. They should have hired should have hired Tata Martino. They should have in, hired Lope, interviewed and hired Lopetetti, who, you know, coming from Spain and Barcelona, he was interested. You should have hired him. You should have hired, interviewed, should have hired Pareja. Should have... Here's the deal. I feel that a lot of this is because there isn't a lot going on with U.S. soccer right now. It's a lost year. They didn't make the World Cup. You had the World Cup, but as far as U.S. soccer is concerned, you had a bunch of friendlies that had absolutely no meaning. You had absolutely no bearing. So you got to see a whole bunch of young kids that get get their their feet wet playing on the top levels of soccer. And I get it. Bring in Burhalter, and he gets to introduce his system and gets players into his system earlier. Perhaps. That's the one argument I could see as to why hiring Burhalter earlier would have mattered, especially considering Burhalter was considered a frontrunner. But when you look at the whole process, I don't necessarily think it's a flawed process like everybody else. Wow, the process was awful. It took them 14 months to hire a new coach after Arena left after they failed to make the World Cup. Well, you had an election in January where Carlos Cordero was hired as the new president of U.S. soccer. So you want the new president to be able to bring in his own guy. Well, the first thing the new president says is, hey, I'm going to bring in a GM. Well, when you decide to create a GM, you have to define what that role is. Before, before you even interview anybody, you have to determine what that role is going to be. And as the new president, he got to outline what he wanted. So that took some time. And once you've decided what that, what that was going to be and how that was going to look and what type of role that was going to be, how much influence the general manager had, or whatever you want to call a president, it doesn't matter. You got you got into the details of who was going to be available for that. And at the end of the day, Ernie Stewart was the one who was hired. So now that you have Ernie Stewart in the general manager's role, from there he has to start looking at who he wants to be his new coach, and or manager, call it whatever you want to call it. But first, he's got to learn what the roles and limitations of his job. How much of a say is U.S. soccer going to have as an organization versus is it going to be entirely his call? Because it's a new position, that takes a while to define it. And then for him, it's a matter of getting up to speed with what he's looking for. I'm sure when he took the job, he already had a list in mind. Apparently, he interviewed, I believe, 33 people, at least considered 33. And then he did first interviews, so I'll, I'll say phone interviews with 11, and then he did three interview, three, or he wanted to do three final interviews, he wound up only doing two because one accepted another job, we assume that's Jesse Marsh, however, so he did two in-person interviews, and then, it, so the people who are against this whole process complained and said, well, Ernie Stewart, you know, all he did was he interviewed only two people, there were more people qualified than that, he did phone interviews. He's watched these guys' tape of what these guys can do as managers. He knows what they can do. I don't think it's very difficult for that for him to start weeding down that list. When you start with 33, you watch game film. You look at games online. You look at the results. You look at how they approach the game and decide how good of a fit it's going to be versus what you ultimately hire. And for him, he came down to Pareja and Burhalter, the two that he interviewed in person, and he decided to go with Greg Burhalter. 
And I think Pareja would have been a wonderful fit as well, as would have Jesse Marsh, honestly. But I, like I said, I feel Jesse Marsh is better suited and going to do a great job with Leipzig. And so at the end of the day, I feel U.S. soccer is in a better position. And the criticism is, well, he's not an exciting hire. Well, listen to him. Look at his results. Okay, did he succeed in the Swedish second division? Yes and no. Not really, I guess. But he's worked with a minimal budget with the Columbus crew. He's kept and gotten them in the playoffs. He's gotten them to the MLS Cup final. He is a UEFA A license coach, which to me I think is a bigger deal than anybody ever lets on to. I think that gets lost in the shuffle. He's been working on being a manager for years. Greg Berhalter is absolutely qualified to be the U.S. national team coach. You can see what he's done with Will Trapp. You can see what he's done with Zach Steffen. You can see what he's done with Giassi Zardis. And he's done a great job with them. He works. He kept the crew focused this season. And even in the end of last season, when the rumors of the crew moving to Austin started, he kept them focused. He got them into the playoffs. And ultimately, the crew are going to stay, which is awesome. But at the same time, you look, you're looking at that and you're saying, well, what was his role? He kept them focused and he got them going in the right direction. And maybe that, you know, I saw something today that was talking about that. Well, maybe they didn't announce Greg Berhalter because they wanted to have a resolution with pre-court and the crew. And I don't think that was... And the, the implication was, did U.S. soccer, is that why U.S. soccer held off? No, I think that might have been why Greg Berhalter held off. Greg Berhalter is a professional. He's a consummate professional. And from everything I can tell in the way he's approached this, the way he approached his press conference, the way he answered questions, I believe if there was anything to be to that, it would be he wanted to stay with the crew because he did not want to disrupt that whole process, be it that the club was going to move to Austin or the club wasn't. He didn't want to abandon them in the middle of that whole process, and he stuck with them and decided that he wasn't going to be available till afterwards. And now we have Greg Berhalter as the men's national team coach. I think that's a great fit. I think he's going to be a great choice overall, and those who say he's not exciting, well, neither was Bob Bradley. And Bob Bradley did pretty well, and he's done pretty well since then. So congratulations to Greg Berhalter as he takes the reins as the new coach of the U.S. men's national team. The next item on my agenda that I had written down today was the women's Ballon d'Or, which was won by Adel Hagelberg of Norway. Great. She plays for Lyon. Apparently she's one of the best players in the world. Not anybody I'm necessarily familiar with because, to be honest, I for the women's game if they're really not a star in NWSL I probably don't know who they are at this point I'm not that deep into women's soccer getting better I follow more and more of it as we go along but Ada Hagerberg wins and the controversy is that the DJ from the event I didn't write his name down because to me it's really irrelevant he's such a pig it doesn't matter to me asked her to twerk and of course she said no which was the correct answer he apologized but really didn't. He didn't use her name. He didn't directly say, I apologize. He basically said, I apologize if I offended you, which is really, it's an, it's a non-apology apology. Anybody who's had to apologize before knows how that's worked. Well, I apologize if you're offended. Nah, you're offensive. Apologize to the person when you've actually screwed up. And you have, pal. So I guess my, when I'm more... Not, I shouldn't say more upset. I think that was pretty much enough to be upset about. But the one thing I noticed was 
I believe the highest point total for anybody in the NWSL was Sam Kerr in fourth. And which really kind of annoys me, frustrates me, is that NWSL to me is really it's the top league in the world for women. And here it is that the top one is fourth. And it's Sam Kerr who's dominant with the Austra- with the Australian national team. And go right down the roster for the U.S. women, and none of them were even close. Um, and that, to me, that's just that's a problem, that it was so European-centric. And Hagerberg, as good as she is, never seen her play, can't say I haven't, but if you're going to win Ballon d'Or, you're obviously very good. Doesn't even play for a national team. She took a break for the national team. Doesn't play for Norway. And it sounds like there's underlying reasons, none of which I'm very aware of, haven't really, can't lie haven't really paid attention, but to find out that your Ballon d'Or winner is somebody who doesn't even play for your national team, to me that's a problem, especially when you start looking at the men's side, and you've got the winner for this year on the men's side, which was Luka Modric, 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 sorry if I'm killing the pronunciation, I'm sure Chris and Pat will have a laugh at this on Thursday. He finally broke the, the stranglehold that Messi and Ronaldo have on the award. Now, he's definitely worthy of winning. And that said, but part of the reason why I feel he won is Modric was so good in the World Cup for Croatia. And he was, frankly, for Madrid, he was phenomenal, especially in the Champions League. And like I said, he's a very deserving winner. He's a phenomenal player. However, that said, the comma but is you look at Messi, you look at Ronaldo, and you look at how great they are. There's a point I feel like they're getting to almost Michael Jordan syndrome, especially when you took look at Leo Messi. Leo Messi was last year was as good as he's ever been. However, when it came to the World Cup, he was he carried Argentina, but Argentina wasn't as good as expected, so resulting in he kind of took a hit for it. But I also feel with Messi specifically, you start looking at him and kind of look like you looked at Michael Jordan. You expect greatness. Every time. Every time he has the ball. Every time he's around the ball. Every game you're expecting something amazing from Messi. Much like you did with Jordan. So when somebody steps up and has a great year, such like Modric did this year, like Barkley did during the day, Malone did another year, you're like, oh my God, they're really good too. Are they really on the level of Michael Jordan then? Or what LeBron James is now? No. If you want to come down to it, LeBron James should win the MVP practically every year. Really, he should win it every year, as should have Jordan. However, when someone steps up with a special year, like Steve Nash in the Kobe Bryant years, or, I said, um, Carl Malone or Charles Barkley, they get an MVP when, did they have a great year? Absolutely. Were they as good as Jordan or Messi? No, absolutely not. But... You reward a special year, so Luka Modric wins your wins the Ballon d'Or for the men. A deserving winner over Messi, yeah, hard to say, but he gets the award this year. So we we got to finally got somebody who's not named Leo Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo winning the award. And the next topic I'd like to discuss is going to be MLS Cup. We got MLS Cup this weekend down in Atlanta, where there's a couple of things leading into the game and I'm sure again when we get to US Fan TV on Thursday this will be discussed in more detail but apparently Atlanta for its 63, 64, 65,000 whatever 
Mercedes-Benz Dome, Mercedes-Benz Stadium holds in Atlanta. They're only giving a thousand, maybe a few, a little more than a thousand seats to traveling supporters from the Portland Timbers, which means if you're traveling from Portland down to Atlanta, you're pretty much stuck with the secondary market, which from all reports is absolutely insane, which that's pretty awesome in the sense of that there's so much demand for this game that everybody wants to go see the MLS Cup Final in Atlanta, which should be a great atmosphere versus what I think I saw with the Falcons game, which may have been half full. Now, it sounds like if you listen to Timbers fans and the Timbers Army and even Merritt Paulson, um, I believe the Timbers Army, even the the Cauldron and the uh, the Red Bull supporter group, they all petitioned Atlanta United and said, you need to have more seats than 1,000. FIFA recommends 5%, which in a 63, 64, whatever, 1,000-seat stadium, it should be a few more than... It's probably about 3,000, and I'm sure Portland would have had no problem selling them. The Timbers Army is amazing. They do great. They do great work. They're loud. They're into the game. I think it would make an even better atmosphere than just the 1,000 that are going to be there. But if I know the Timbers Army correct correctly, they will absolutely make sure that you know they're there and they're going to be there in style. So we'll go into the game, I'm sure, on US Fan TV, as I said before. However... The team I'm going to be pulling for, so I'm pretty sure this is going to be the kiss of death for him, is going to be the Portland Timbers. I've got a couple of friends um, that I that are friends with on Twitter, and then I've got an adversary from my soccer <laughs> youth and Simon Proven, who's a big Timbers fan. And when you start looking at that, and then you get the hat guy, you know, Pat, he wears this Timbers hat. Yeah, I like to mock him and say it looks like a Milwaukee Torrent hat, but he says it's Timbers hat he got in, in Portland, so I'm going to be pulling for the Portland Timbers. And frankly, the other reason is Gio Savarese, um, Savarese, and who came from the New York Cosmos. I know when Panovich was hired with the fire, Gio was one I'm at. I believe he interviewed for the position that I had said, I think he's going to make a terrific coach in MLS. He's one I thought the fire should have gone after. Do I think the fire did okay with Panovich? Absolutely. But I believe Savarese would have been an amazing hire as well, and that was one I thought the fire should have put more into than they did, but now Savarese gets, you know, gets a shot at the brass ring with the Portland Timbers in the MLS Cup Final, and I'm sure anybody who listens to this that are fans of Red Bull will probably make me unhappy, because I believe if Atlanta United wins, then Red Bull makes the CONCACAF Champions League, and if Portland Timbers win, they make CONCACAF Champions League, so sorry Red Bull fans, I'm going to be pulling for the Portland Timbers in this, which actually, if you're a Red Bulls fan, probably going to be better for you when it's all said and done. But again, I'm sure the game itself we'll get into more on US Fan TV. And if we don't, I guess um, if we don't, my prediction is going to be I think Atlanta United wins 3-1. to one. Doesn't mean I'm cheering for that, but I think it's going to be an open game, and I think that's ultimately going to be the result. So I don't believe there were any uniforms of note to be dropped this week. So I think what I'm going to go into from a aesthetic perspective this week is I'm going to go into Minneapolis City. To be fair and full full disclosure, I am a member of Minneapolis City or owner or uh, whatever you want to call it. I this is my third year that I will be a paying dues season ticket holder member of the club for Minneapolis City. And this week on Twitter, they introduced their five scarves to be voted upon by their by their supporters. 
that are paying members, and that'll be the, the club scarf for this week. All five scarves are absolutely amazing. So you should go look at MPLS, at MPLS City on Twitter, and you should take a look at them. And when you find one you like, you should sign up and become a member of Minneapolis City so you can start getting those scarves. And that's really honest, to be honest, that's kind of what I think when you get to these these lower tier teams. When you get a chance to be a member of a club like Minneapolis City, take advantage of it. Get involved. And I'm sure there are other clubs out there that do this, but Minneapolis City kind of hit home for me because I do have family that lives in the Twin Cities area. Both of my brothers and their families live there, and this will be the first year, honestly, my two nephews are going to be dues-paying members, thanks to their uncle, and they'll get to vote on their scarves, so that should be their first vote with the club, which will be pretty awesome, and I think everybody should. When anybody, Any club that offers a membership, take advantage of it. Support your lower soccer. And speaking of, that's going to be... Um, a site I'm going to put out a plug for, and that's going to be Protagonist FC, I believe it is. They look at lower division soccer. They're passionate about lower division soccer in the United States, and they're going to talk about lower division soccer. They have podcasts. They're going to have they have write-ups. Absolutely a great show, to be, great program to be looking at. And then, and Phil Baki and his crew absolutely give them a listen, give them a, give them a look. Protagonist. Soccer is definitely, when you're looking at lower division soccer in the United States, they're probably going to be the forefront at this point. So, that said, and they can be found at Protagonist USA on Twitter, at Protagonist USA, or if you're going to the interwebs, it'll be ProtagonistSoccer.com. Like I said, definitely give, check them out. I, they've got a 1,000 followers. They should have 10,000 followers because... You know, if you follow soccer Twitter, everybody talks about how the lower divisions need need attention. They're giving you the attention. Give them a look. Definitely check those guys out because they're doing, like I said, great work for everything in promoting the lower divisions. And the last segment for this week, before I get to the wrapping up the show, was I put a call out for questions on my Twitter feed, which for this show is at Pod. And I did get a question, and it was thankfully... A mercy question, I believe, from Pat from US Fan TV, as those who listen to US Fan TV will know him as Hat Guy. His question is, would Arian Robbins stay healthy in MLS? And because this is Robbins' last year with Bayern, there's talk that he's going to make the move to MLS, or at least somebody in MLS will take a shot at him. And I think anybody in MLS would be stupid if they didn't. He's a, still a phenomenal player. I still think he still has gas left in the tank. And just because he can't do it in the Bundesliga, let's face it, MLS... I think is a, a league that's on the rise. However, it's not the Bundesliga, so therefore, I think Robin definitely has a role to play. Will he stay healthy because he's starting to fight injury bugs, much like Schweinsteiger did near the end of his career in the Bundesliga and when he played in the Premier League with Manchester United? And that's really a mixed question because the difference is Schweinsteiger was never a player who relied on his speed as heavily as Robin. Now, Robin's speed in MLS will definitely be to his advantage because MLS is not as fast of a league, which is why I still think he has a role to play there. When you start thinking about it, his speed, his his savvy, he's going to get around players much quicker than, easier than he does in the Bundesliga now, and so that's why I think he's still going to be a phenomenal player if he makes the move to MLS or wherever he goes. He still definitely has plenty in the tank to, to go that way. Now that said, defenders in the MLS are not nearly, and yeah, I did call it the MLS. In MLS, they're not as good as they are in the Bundesliga. So... The worry becomes is I my whole 
in conversation with my older brother, I recall him saying once that when you're a, a player that depends on speed, when you're playing against players that are not as good as you, when you're playing at the lower levels, you worry about guys who don't know how to play and they start hacking. They become hacks. And Now, MLS defenders are professionals. Are they as good as the Bundesliga? No. Will Robin see some clumsier challenges? Absolutely. Does that leave him more prone to injury? Probably. However, with Robin's speed, with Robin's ability, I think for at least the first few years, he's going to be able to work around those pretty easily. So I think he does stay healthier in MLS, Pat. And I think anybody in MLS should take a shot at him. I'm sure he's going to cost Rooney-type money. Maybe. He's not being English. Maybe not as much. But I think he would be an asset for anybody in MLS. And I think every team should be looking at him if they have a spot for him. And if not, you find one for him. Because that's a player that would make your roster better automatically. And now that the soccer has been covered for the week, I'm sure this is the part everybody's waiting for is my beer selection for this week's show, which has been, even though I had a couple different beers while we were out at my corporate outing, the beer of the week is going to be Yingling, which I brought back from Fort Fort Knox when I was there. I can't get it in Illinois, but the fact that I was able to bring it back from when I was at Fort Knox in November makes it a great beer and a special treat. Is it an amazing beer? Nah, nothing's. But the fact that I don't get to have very often kind of makes it fun to have on occasion. So those of that have hung out for the 33 minutes that I've been rambling so far, thank you for doing so. This is the longest show I've had, and hopefully it'll be the most listened to show. Again, you can find me on SoundCloud at Minivan Dad Soccer Pod and on iTunes under Minivan Dad Soccer Pod. And if you're having trouble finding it, just search Minivan Soccer and it will come up. Please subscribe. Please give it five stars so people will find it and can grow the show that way. Hopefully for next week that I will be able to have either figure out either how to add music to it because I'm sure everybody's getting tired of hearing my voice rambling again and again. And if not, maybe we'll even get to a guest. Again, if I can figure out the technology, if you understand the technology, feel free to hit me up at Minivan Dad Pod take questions i'll be more than happy to answer and i forgot that was the other question this week do i actually have a minivan yes i've had one once since february of 20 of this year and even my the other car in my household is a minivan as well mine's a mazda 5 the other one's a toyota sienna so yeah i'm a minivan family and sad, sadly i'm proud of it because when you have three small kids it's the easiest way to move kids around without destroying other people's doors with kids flailing on the suv door into somebody else so, again, find, subscribe on iTunes at Minivan Dad Soccer Pod and on, or on SoundCloud at Minivan Dad Soccer Pod. Um, just like to finish up with the show like I do every week. Morby, Magis, Milius. And thanks for listening to the Minivan Soccer Pod. Hope to catch everybody again next week.